And when I was first a Christian, first became a Christian, I had a mentor that said, what do you do with these scriptures as we were going through a Bible study on this? And then several years later, uh, after we had entered the ministry, um, Ray Pritchard did a pastor's retreat, and uh, he was going through this, and the question came out, what do you do with a scripture like this? And a few years after that, we got to listen to uh, Pastor Stuart Briscoe, and he was going through 1 John. And the question came, these are difficult scriptures, what do we do with them? And so there's a theme there, and it's something that I've used ever since... um, my early um, Christian walk. And so I think it's good that we go through this and we can look at this. This is a book of, of self-examination in a world that has gone uh, south in the, even the picture of what a Christian looks like today um, compared to first century. And it isn't that there wasn't problems in the first century, but I think it's, it's as the church has grown, of course, the problems have have grown also. And so in 1 John, um, we're just going to start with the, the first verse, try to maybe get through a few, maybe just get through the, the introductory in the first few verses today. But really within the first few years of the beginning of the Christian movement, counterfeits had sprang up all over. And we see that even today. You know, people get um, upset with something, they church hop, they start their own church, they do their own thing, and we don't stick together as a body of believers anymore. And, and John was recognizing this. John, by this time, this was probably written about uh, 90, 95 A.D. Uh, John was an old man at that time. But there was four groups that they were basically dealing with back then that were... Um, infiltrating the church, these false teachings that were coming. And though today they don't go by the same names, I want you to see if you recognize some of these. And and some of the early examples were the Judaizers. And so the Judaizers believed in grace, but they also believed that there needed to be effort. It wasn't just by grace you were saved, as the scriptures would teach us, but they believed that there needed to be an effort involved in that too. And so we see that in some cults, we see that in some churches, Jehovah Witnesses are one that come to mind. Uh, they may talk about Jesus, and of course they got a lot of other problems with their doctrine. Uh, but they also believe that they need to do all this work. We can see that along the Anabaptist lines a little bit, um, where they believe a work needs to also be entailed uh, for salvation. Now we believe in works, but we believe works are a result of our salvation, not for our salvation. But those were the Judaizers. And so the Jewish converts at that time were coming into the this newly formed New Testament church, and they were teaching, well, well, grace is fine, but you have to still do this. And I want to say even in modern evangelical churches, we sort of get this mindset, I think, within people, that we have troubles accepting grace for grace. And so we think, well, now I'm a Christian, I, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to be getting the approval of the Father all the time so I can get his nod and his blessing and Again, the scriptures say, by grace we have been saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. And so we would see this today yet, uh, even though we may not call them Judaizers. The next ones were Gnostics. Gnostics, um, that's probably the biggest realm today, I would say, in the world today. But Gnostics really believed anything that was done in the body, even the grossest sins, 
um, were okay because they really believed that the, the physical flesh had, had no bearing on the eternal life, that our life is eternal or it's spiritual, and so we could live however we wanted to. And they also believed that there was a, a higher truth or a higher understanding that only a few enlightened people would have. So we can see that sometimes in the world around us where people think they got this inside track or God gives them a special uh, revelation of something. And, you know, well, the Spirit told me this or the Spirit told me that. So I just want to clarify that, that, uh, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, that it works in the lives of people. But the Holy Spirit is never going to be contrary to the Word of God. Never. So if you're in prayer, if you're meditating, if you're thinking something, or you think God has impressed something upon your heart, and it's in conflict with the Word of God, that is not the Holy Spirit that is speaking to you. Okay, so the Spirit is always going to be uh, in agreement with the Word of God. The Word of God is our foundation. The Word of God is our base. Amen. And the, the Gnostics, again, were ones that believe how I live in the flesh has nothing to do with this. And so when we look around the world today, we see a lot of people, they call themselves Christians, uh, but they live in a way that is pleasing to the devil. They do things that God says that he hates and detests, and yet they call themselves Christians. And they say, well, that's okay. Didn't Jesus die for my sins, past, present, and future? Well, the truth of it is, yes, he did. And there's also those that will say, well, you know, I call it preemptive sin. They know that they're going to sin. They're planning on doing this sin and then seeking God's forgiveness later. That would be like a Gnostic. A Gnostic just says, you know, what I do in the flesh doesn't matter. We have a lot of people in the world today that profess Christianity and they're living in a way that is so contrary to God's word that it should really repel us in, in those things. And so when we look at this, we need to understand this is the first century church that was dealing with this, but we deal with this too. You know, How can you call yourself a Christian and continue to live in sin? Continue to commit adultery, continue to steal, continue to, to lie, and continue to do the things that this world has. But see, as Christians, we like to make everybody feel good. And so we say, well, you know, God understands. Uh, I'm going to address that a little later. I don't think God understands that at all. He understands our, our nature. One of the other things that they were dealing with were uh, the docetics. Docetics believe that Jesus was like a phantom or a hologram, if that makes sense. Um, they could see it, so if you ever watched um, science fiction, Star Wars, you know, they had Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was sort of like that vision where they could see him, they could hear him, but they couldn't touch him. If you were to go up to Jesus and, and try to touch him, your arm would go right through him. You could see him, you could hear him, but you couldn't touch him. And John is going to, to deal with this in a... Uh, a moment, and their belief was sincere in their belief. Okay, so I want you to understand that a lot of false teachings, a lot of um, cults, and that they start based on emotions and based on feelings, not on the Word of God. And so the thought was this: is was it fair for Jesus to have to go to the cross and die? Can you really kill God? Could God have really gone and died upon that cross? You can't kill God. You can't hurt God. But we don't understand is that the scriptures teach us about the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three are one, but yet each one had a purpose in life. And so their thought was sort of compassionate that, you know, Jesus really couldn't suffer. He really couldn't, 
you know, we really couldn't put him to death and do these things because he's God. So he just came as an image. And those were the Docetics. And then there was the Corinthians. And these are different than the Corinthians. But the Corinthians, I would liken them to Unitarians today, saying that all religions lead to God, all paths lead to God, all um, denominations are equal in God's sight, and, and you know, everybody, we try to make things happen. And so in John's day, what we saw the Corinthians doing, they were trying to unite the doctrines of, of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and the doctrines of Christ uh, with the opinions of the Jews and of the Gnostics. So they were trying to make everything fit together. Let's keep everybody happy. But the Bible doesn't teach that, does it? And God is telling us, and John is going to tell us through this gospel, that there are lines that are drawn. There are boundaries that are there. And you know, it doesn't really matter what we think. So many times when we come together, we elevate man's opinions so high above God's word. And, you know, so we can come to a Bible study, and a lot of times I, I do studies in the prison. We're going through discipleship right now. And a lot of times I'll have guys say, well, you know what I think? Well, you know what I believe? And if it's contrary to the word of God, I say, you know what? It really doesn't matter what you believe. It really doesn't matter what your opinion is. What matters is the truth in God's word. Are we standing on God's word? Are we believing God's word? Are we walking in God's word? Because I believe the biggest heresy that John was going to face and probably the biggest concern because he knew these people, he knew them very intimately. He calls them actually his dear children in Christ. He believed and he loved these people dearly is that somehow they were going to be led astray and not get to the kingdom of God. And so many times in our life we can see this, can't we? We can see that we make people feel good in their sin and they continue in their sin. And have they really been regenerated? Have they really been born again? Have they really entered into this relationship with Christ? Where are their priorities in life? Because then God looks down at us and he loves us, but he sees our priorities. There's nothing that can be hidden from God. And so already professing Christians had been led astray by these false teachers, these false sects. And so John is going to address this and, and because he loved these people and he didn't want them to be led astray. Now, how would you like it if, if somehow in your life that you embraced a false doctrine, a false religion, and you made somebody feel comfortable in their life and led them to believe that, well, you know what? You were baptized as a child. See, some, some denominations say that. You know, oh, you're baptized as a baby, you're going to heaven. We still go to family funerals from time to time, and the spiritual leader gets up and says, by their baptism they have been accepted into the gracious you know, arms of a loving God. And you sit back and you say, but I knew that person their whole life, and they weren't living for God at all. They weren't living for Christ at all. Their life was totally contrary to what God's scripture would say. Evangelicals, they're good at this. If you want to know Christ, walk front, say this prayer, repeat these words after me. Somebody comes up and they say, well, I don't want to go to hell. So they repeat these words after you, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now you're welcomed into the kingdom of God. But did God regenerate your heart? Did he change your life? Is there a passion in you that desires to walk after him, or are you hinging your salvation on words that you spoke? And not on a changed life. And so John is going to show us that really. That a relationship 
with Christ, a fellowship with God the Father, is what salvation is. It's not just the professing of one's lips, though our profession is important, but what does Jesus say? With their mouth they utter great words, but their hearts are far from me. I'm a Christian, I go to church, I do this, I do, oh yeah, but, you know, but I'm living this way, and I'm talking this way, and I'm embracing these things in my life. See, God called, he had a word for that in the Bible, it's called hypocrisy. It was the hypocrites that lived in such a way. Are you living that way in your life? Are you embracing, do you have that intimate relationship with Christ? So this epistle, as we get into it, it really gives this um, short glimpse into the Christian world in the first century. But really, as we read through it and as we look at it, we can see a lot of um, parallels and a lot of application into the 21st century. And so he sort of weaves this um, triple themes of, of, of truth and uh, love and obedience together. It's like a, a rope. You know, when you have a rope, if you braid those strands together, they become strong. Well, he talks about this, this truth and this love and this obedience that is, needs to be in the Christian's life. And so, so many times in the world today, we grasp one without the other. We have some religions that they're just tied into the obedience. I got I to gotta obey the laws of God. I know Messianic Jews that I got to follow the letter of the law or God's not going to be able to do this and I got to do that. Some are, are so overwhelmed in the love of God, they say, well, God loves everybody. God will just, he understands, he accepts all these things. And what I find in the scripture is that God understands this, that he so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, that whosoever believes on him shall be saved. Not believes in him, but believes on him. We believe that he is the Savior. We believe that he is our Redeemer. We believe that it was his blood that was paying our sins for all eternity. And we live and we walk in that way. That's what God understands. And so he tells us really to have fellowship with God. And again, I'm going to say that this is salvation. When we talk about salvation, it's not an act that you did a long time ago. It's not a a word that you spoke a long time ago. Salvation is an ongoing experience. It's an ongoing relationship, uh, dynamic relationship, I would even say. It's ongoing fellowship with the Father. And he says, in order to have this, you need to know God's truth. That's the first point. Many people don't even open their Bible today. They don't even read the Bible today. They'll come to church, they'll listen to what I have to say or what another pastor has to say. They may tune into some pastors on the radio, those are all good things to do and they're, they're good messages to hear. But we need to know God's truth. We need to get into God's word and understand because the more that we are spending time in God's word, the more it becomes part of our life. It becomes part of our routine. It becomes, it gets absorbed into us. And so I'm going to challenge you guys through this next week. Uh, read through the first 10 verses of, of 1 John every day. Or maybe a couple times a day. It's going to take about a minute and a half out of your day. And I know that you guys are busy people. But take that minute and a half of maybe once or twice a day. Read through those, those scriptures and ask yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me? What does this mean for my life? And see what it has to say. Get disciplined in opening God's word. Because we need to, first of all, know God's truth. Second, we must obey God's 
commandments. We must obey his word. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. Okay, so when somebody is born again, when he's regenerate, when the Holy Spirit comes in it, our desire now is to live for him. Listen, things get cleaned up in our life. It may take some time. You know, some people have this conversion of they flip right over and everything's gone. But things begin to change in your life. I, I remember my salvation experience and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden when I would hear something, when I would say something that was inappropriate, um, I recognized it. And, and I didn't recognize it before. And all of a sudden it's like recognizing it. I got to stop that. God, that's not pleasing to God. Now listen, the Bible tells us all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're there. So when we fail, and we're going to fail because we're just human in nature, we have an advocate. We go to him and we repent of those things. But we need to obey his word. And one of his uh, commandments to us is repent. To repent of the sins that we are involved in in our life. And the third is that we need to love one another. Because the basis of everything in Christianity, the basis of everything in God the Father, is love. Even his judgment is based upon love. That's why it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. He loved us. That prompted his action to send the Son down for payment for our sins. Everything we do as believers needs to be done in love. A lot of us like to speak the truth, but we don't like to speak the truth in love. We want to speak truth to prove somebody wrong. We want to speak the truth to, to, to prove a point. We need to speak the truth in love. It needs to be done by love. So we need to know God's truth. We need to obey his word. And we need to love one another. And so we have John that's old. And he's living in this time of confusion and, and really a moral compromise in the, in the world. And we can say, well, we're there too. We're living in that time. We're seeing those things. But he points this out, that authentic fellowship with God and his people is the center of our relationship with God. And so when I ask you this question and say, you know, really, do you have this intimate relationship with God? Okay, because a lot of people say, well, I know about God. God's there. God's something we think about Saturday night or Sunday morning, you know, because we come to church or Saturday night. Oh, I got to go to church in the morning. We may think of God from time to time when we get a prayer request. But when you're intimate with somebody, that means what? It means that they know everything about you and you're trying to know everything about them. So that can, that can happen between spouses. That can happen between friends. It can happen uh, in church members. But it needs to happen between you and God. Because, listen, God knows everything about you. There is nothing that is hidden from him. So he knows the, the very innards of everything. We try to hide sin. We try to put on a mask. We try to pretend like everything's all right. And we like to hide things in our life. But see, when we're intimate with somebody, they know those things about us. And we should desire to know those things about God. That's how we become intimate with him. And so he wrote this uh, from Ephesus. And these are people that he knows very well. So he, and again, I want to emphasize... He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the world. So as we get into reading about 1 John, understand this, is that he is speaking to the church. 
the church that is being led astray, the church that is adopting things that are unbiblical, a church that has its members that are, are living in ways that are contrary to God. And so as we sit here today, I want us to look at some things, or I want you to look at these things in your life, not at your neighbor, not at your spouse, not at somebody else, but where are your priorities in life? What's the most important thing to you in life? You know? Well, you can say, well, you know, uh, God's important to me. Search your heart. And it even tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. But you need to ask yourself that question. What is the most important thing in your life? Are you playing games with God? Oh, I wouldn't play games. We play games with God all the time. Whenever we're sitting in sin and we try to justify something going on in our life, when we try to hide things from God and from his people, those are all playing games with God. Are we doing those things in our life? So he tells us here in the very beginning, the first four verses, I know we're going to get into these today. John usually doesn't start, or he didn't start any of his epistles or his gospel with a greeting but he just starts with a statement, and he sort of starts with the same statement in the Gospel of, of John. Um, you know, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was the, uh, with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen, which we have heard, we declare to you that we also may have fellowship, that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Just in those few examples there, there's a huge amount of, of doctrine in there, if you want to rip it apart, but there's also just a huge challenge of what is going on here. So really what John is starting to do is he's starting to show a life revealed. And this life is the life of Jesus Christ. And so when he's addressing some of these uh, false teachers that are in here, the Judaizers, he's going to be addressing that. He's going to address the Gnostics and the Docetics and the Corinthians. But he's saying this. First of all, there's the ascetics who said, well, Jesus was like a hologram or he was a, this phantom you could see but you couldn't touch or hear. John addresses that right away. And John really addresses the historical Jesus. That which I have seen and heard and touched, he's going to talk about. John wrote this on a base of ex, uh, personal experience with Jesus Christ. He had walked with Jesus. He had had spent months with him. He had listened to him. Wouldn't you have liked to have heard all the conversations that went on between Jesus and his apostles? But John is saying this is something, this isn't second hand. This isn't, you know, uh, going around the circle sharing a message. This, he says, is what I have experienced in my life. This is what I have seen. This is what I have touched. This is what I have heard. And so he's preaching this gospel based on a, on a real historical Christ. And so even if you're sitting here today and you say, well, you know what, I, 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 I get that there is this Jesus, I just don't know if he was real or not. There is evidence that Jesus was a real historical person. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. Even scholars, agnostics, atheists, whatever, they cannot deny that Jesus was a real historical person. What they may try to argue about is, was he really the son of God? But what he wants to do, what John wants to do at this point is say, listen, 
This is based on a real experience that I've had with Christ. I walked with him and talked with him and listened to him and experienced things. I saw the miracles. I've seen the changed lives. I've seen all these things. And he's trying to tell these people Jesus is not a a mystical idea, but he is the Son of God in human flesh. And he's going to pan that out as, as we go through these things. And the theme that was stated through this, he says, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you. He talks about this life being manifested. He says, we bear witness this. We declare this to you. We have seen it. We have touched it. We have all these things. He's real. And he's there to say he is real. We need to tell people today that Christ is real. We need to tell people today that that there's one choice. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. We can't be like the Corinthians and say, well, you know what? We just want everybody to be happy. We want all roads to lead. Either you believe the Bible as it is written or you don't. It's not a smorgasbord. We don't pick and choose. We don't say, well, some of the Bible I I like, some I don't. The Christian faith is an exclusive faith. It's a faith that says there's one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Have you accepted that? And then, when you talk about Jesus, it's not just the head knowledge of knowing who he was. It's not like the historical records that say, well, there was this guy named Jesus. But it's believing that he is who he said he was because the only other options is that he was a crazy man or he was the Savior. He was one of the two. He'd either lost all his facilities and and was nuts or he was who he said that he was. And so that's the choice that we come up with. When we read the Gospels, when when we read his word and his word speaks to us, we have to make that decision. But don't be fooled. It says God is not mocked in our life. Maybe we're mocking God. We're continuing in sin, but we're trying to stay in the graces of God. We're walking the fence, trying to do two things at once. But he tells us in in verse 3 here, he says, We have declared this to you that we may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. John is saying the only way that you can have fellowship with us is to have fellowship with the Father. And the only way that that fellowship with the Father happens is through Jesus Christ. So many times in our world today, we sort of water down things. We say fellowship. Well, we're having fellowship here. We're going to have fellowship dinner out there. You know, this is fellowship. But John is making very clear that fellowship has one link, and that link is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we have non-believers in here today, uh, we may be here, but the fellowship isn't with those non-believers. Our fellowship is with one another because of what Christ has done for us. Now we may visit with those other people and we may have good conversations and and, and a time together, but this fellowship is a spiritual fellowship that he is talking about. In verse 4, and he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. We live in a world today where depression is is going crazy. You know, they they, uh, just read an article a few weeks back. It says that the average high school student today has the same um, level of mental anxiety as those that they were committing into um, insane asylums back in the 1950s or back into mental hospitals back in the 1950s. Can you imagine that? We We have more pills going out for anxiety, for depression, for this, for that, for every other thing that, that goes on in life. And, and I understand sometimes 
those medications can help people through a state. But it's, it's, it's exponential how huge that is today. And so when we look at these things, we say, well, you know, people don't have peace in their life. People say, man, I'm, I'm just, they don't have peace in their life. When you talk to them about joy, they, they confuse it with happiness. Well, I'm not happy because this happened, this happened. You know, the life is a cesspool. I mean, the world around us is a cesspool. You know, you got to really look for happiness in there. And happiness is an experience that is there for a moment, can be gone a little while later. But joy is something that God gives us, which is deep down. And he says the only way that we can even have this joy is to have fellowship with other believers. And yet people choose not to fellowship together. They have reasons why not to come together. Well, I don't come to church because of this and that. You know, there's hypocrites in the church. Well, I don't come to church because all they want is your money. I don't come to church because, you know, it's my day off and I, and I want to do this and I want to do that. Some of us just get out of the habit of coming to church. Well, I can worship out in the woods by my tree. I can turn on a radio and listen to a message. I can turn on my TV and get... 50 channels of, of good preachers. And so we don't have this fellowship with one another. I don't know if any of you are very intimate with your TV set. I'm not intimate with my TV set. I like to watch a good show sometimes. But you can get intimate with people. And God wants us to have that intimacy in relationship with one another, with the family of God. We sing that church once in a while. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. The intimacy that can take place, the friendships that are developed when we're genuine. Are you genuine in your relationship with God? And so he goes on to tell us this in verse 5, that this is the message which we have heard from him, declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I want you to read through these scriptures this week. I challenge you to. Just to yourself. Once or twice a day, read those and say, God, what are you saying to me? God is perfect light. He is perfect holiness. In him it says there is no darkness at all. So when we say he understands my sin, he understands you know, my weaknesses. God, you know, God will overlook those things. No, the Bible is clear. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He couldn't even look upon Jesus upon the cross when the, he bared the sins of the world because God cannot look upon those sins. So what do you think he thinks when he looks upon our life? And we're almost flaunting our sin. In his face. We're calling ourselves Christians. We're calling ourselves Christ followers. That's what a Christian is. And yet we're choosing to follow the ways of the world. And he looks down at us and he says, You're loving the world more than you're loving me. You're following the world more than you're following me. And I would ask you the question Is that a relationship with Christ? Is that a relationship with God? Is that what the picture of salvation is to look like? I don't think so. And so John is challenging us through all these things. He says, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And he tells us this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, if I say that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer, I'm a Christ follower, if I say that I'm a born again believer, 
If I say that I have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that means continue to sin. Not just by mistake, but on purpose. I continue to to live in a state of sin. What does it say? We're liars. We're liars. God's word calls us liars. What do you do with a scripture like that? What do you do when that applies to your life? Well, the good news is God gives us a way out of that. It's called confession and repentance. But are we even doing that in our life? And confession isn't just, you know, confession means I'm coming into agreement with God that it's wrong and I need it out of my life. Repentance isn't just, well, I'm sorry I got caught with that. Sorry somebody, you know. Repentance is my heart is broke over it because the things that are breaking God's heart are breaking my heart. And so he says there's an answer to this in our life. It's repentance and forgiveness. Do you have that in your life? I think we're going to close there for today, but I want you to, to look through those as we continue on through this book, because this book is a, a very challenging book for the believer's life. It challenges us to draw closer to God, to, to walk more intimately with Him, to be passionate about our relationship with Him. That it's not just something that we claim, it's not just a badge that we wear, but it's a lifestyle that we live. The Bible tells me I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. So even when I'm weak, and even when I falter, there's victory. There's victory in Christ. But we have to know Him. We have to love Him. We have to be committed to Him as He was to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for Your great love. We can't even understand Your love. But we thank You for it. Lord, Your, your, your grace and Your mercy, they just can overwhelm us, Lord. But Lord, help us not to take things for granted, Lord. There was a price that was paid on Calvary for the forgiveness of our sins. And there's a choice that you call each of us to make. Many here have their priorities wrong. Many times we we make choices that we know that we shouldn't. Many times we are, are living in such a way that brings shame unto the name Christian. And Lord, we know these things shouldn't be. So Lord, help us in our life. Help us in our walk. Help us to lean and desire more of you in our life. Lord, you're just a whisper away. Just to turn our affections and our attentions towards you. To ask you to intervene in our life in these areas where we're weak. And so Father, we pray for that for each of us. Lord, as we enter into the the Lord's table today. Again, the challenge is there to examine ourselves. I pray that this week would be an examination for each of us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, the Bible says. Isn't that quite a challenge? So Father, we just thank you, Lord, for what you do. and We ask you to speak to each heart here. Lord, move us in ways that only you can. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.